Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 364, BGG Hotness. For February 2022, we'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back and we are talking about the hotness for February 2022. You should have known this was coming because the weather has been so warm, and of course, it's because of board games and not yes. content, right? 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 We're all, we're all great. We're cool. Yeah. Great. Cool. So, play more board games, nicer weather, but also none of the bad things no, no, that no, come no. from the other thing that's probably causing the warm weather. Wait a minute. I thought it was board game related. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> no, don't tell me there's bad things. No, there's Too no many bad things. There's no bad things in the cardboard world. There's no bad things in cardboard world. <laughs> Just click your <laughs> heels and, and go there because everything in cardboard world is fine and it's all cardboardy and and smells like paper. So, yay! Welcome, friends, to cardboard world where everything we talk about is cardboard based. So, no reason to fret or get upset. Yes, some things are made of plastic, but that's okay too because you know cardboard world plastic is not an issue either. So, yay! <laughs> No. Uh, We're not in denial. It's fine. I mean, cardboard world. Cardboard world. (laughs) Nonetheless, we are so glad that you've joined us here this week. Again, uh, I appreciate your patience as we continue to make edits and changes and make things better with the podcast. I've moved several times and had had several technical issues. Hopefully, this episode's better than the last. And hopefully, the next episode's even better. So, again, uh, big shout out and thanks to our Patreon backers. It's because of them that our podcast continues to get better and deals with the often craziness of actually producing a podcast. Even in cardboard world, podcast development is actually pretty expensive. So again, thanks to everyone out there. Thanks to everyone who shares the podcast. If you would like to uh, join all the Patreon backers, check us out on patreon.com. Uh, BGA, you'll find us there at a multitude of backing levels. Find amazing content down there. I know we haven't talked about it in quite some time, but again, thank everybody for being able to do that because otherwise we would not be here in cardboard world. All right, Anthony. <laughs> so obviously we've already talked about cardboard world, which again is why we're here. But exactly. our friends out there, right? Anthony, our friends out there have other things to talk about in cardboard world. We have a Question of the week, Anthony. What would that may be? Question of the week. Not in Cardboard World, but coming into Cardboard Aww. World, where we live, in a magical space. I'm Ooh. literally surrounded by board games. You can't see it oh, on yeah. the camera, but <laughs> left, right, I could reach out and touch them in either direction. It's great. It is Cardboard World. Um, so the question of the week this week was, what's your go-to game to wow and amaze new gamers, friends, mm-hmm. family, or otherwise? So not necessarily gateway games. But games to make them say, whoa, that's a board game? Because (laughs) we all know what people think when they hear board games if they've never played a hobby board game. They think Monopoly, they think Scrabble. They think Monopoly and Scrabble, right? So (laughs) it's no good. Um, I'm I'm literally dealing with this right now. I'm teaching a class on board games in the spring in a couple of weeks. And I'm revising and revising my description to make sure everybody understands it's not Monopoly and it's not Scrabble. Um, so what are the games? What do people jump to? Right. So I got a few good answers here. Um, Carlos says something big and ostentatious like nemesis or black rose wars. Uh, so he's all about big sprawling miniatures, just taking over the table. I mean, like this is a board game, which maybe people wouldn't want to play it, but they would certainly be impressed with how much stuff is in that box. (laughs) True. Uh, AC mentions um, how people tend to be bewildered at, it, at their collection, which is a fun ego boost, but also laughable because it is not extensive and they really do not know games. <laughs> so, um, he likes to bust up Catan with the little pewter bits that he's up, upgraded it with, as well as kind of the go-to has become Wingspan because it's beautiful, yeah. fun, mostly easy to teach and play, and people sure like the Birdhouse Dice Tower. So They do. I think Wingspan's a pretty good example. It's a good reason why that game has sold a million copies. Um, Peter has mentioned modern art. He says the, the role-playing is real. The CMON edition art is great fun to discuss. 
then as people get into it and see how strategic the hand management is, you get to see their eyes have this aha moment as they see how much game there is underneath the laughs. Um, that's a really good example uh, because mm. often you get games that feel light up front and they just are, you know, and it's yes. fun. Everybody has fun, but you don't realize what's underneath the surface. Uh, but modern art does have a lot there. There's a lot of meat to it once you get past the goofy elements. Uh, Corey mentions Quacks of Quedlinburg, another kind of go-to family weight game that's really accessible, um, as well as The Crew, uh, which is one of my answers, because I think it's a really good one. A lot of people have played maybe not traditional trick-taking games that we play, like hobby trick-taking games, but some version of it, right? There's a lot of um, card games going back in the day that are kind of familiar. Uh, Roman mentions Hanamakoji in a one-on-one setting. It's quick and becomes full of calculated decisions. I would agree with that, but I've had issues with that game because of the theme before, um, where people are put off by the geishas and, and the, just the general approach to it. it. It feels at first when you're playing it, like kind of potentially icky. And once you see there's nothing really there to that, you're like, okay, I guess this is fine, but it can definitely put off non-gamers pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, lots of good answers there. Uh, you know, for me, the crew is definitely one um, because it's really easy to teach and people just get immediately flustered, but then they want to beat the puzzle of it and figure it out as a group, which is always fun. Um, honestly, like cooperative games in general, I think are really good for showing people what games can do because most people, if, if their background is Monopoly and Scrabble and life, you know, they haven't played a cooperative game. They've played games where you roll dice and make your friends cry. And these games, you roll dice and you all cry together. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's a new thing. Um, so really anything in the cooperative genre, um, I would say pandemic, but not really anymore. <laughs> so uh, lots of good stuff out there though for that. Yeah, I, I guess obviously it always depends on the audience. I guess one of the easy go-to games that, you know, really is colorful and dynamic and has a lot of fun to it was probably be Dinosaur Island just because you have all that plastic in play. Mm. And yet at the same time, there's like, I believe there's four different boards. So you just all do one thing and then, and then follow that throughout. And the instructions are practically on the board. So there really isn't anything that's too overly complicated. And then the mechanisms that kind of take place as far as security of dinosaurs, too many dinosaurs, too many people, and all those kind of things is relatively straightforward. And yet at the same time, it's a bombastic, you know, production, like the color, the pieces, everything is kind of out there. So it does have that draw, but when you sit down and play it, it's never been that complicated for anybody at the table because we all do the same thing at the same time. All the information's open and all the decision-making happens in that specific spot. There's nothing that you have to think of like, you know, a half hour ahead if you were playing like Agricola or Russian railroads or something like that. Just like, nope, right now, what's the best decision? Cool. Next, what's the best decision? And you can kind of play along with that. Um, so spectacle and gameplay, I think, is a lot of easy and fun. And again, that's a game that I can pull out without reading the instructions whatsoever and always get to the table. I, I guess the only other one, if I wanted to go a little bit more on the plastic side, would probably be something along the lines of like Blood Rage. Because again, mm. it's a relatively easy game to play because your rage your rage that you have available is your action points, and then you have a certain number of characters you could play, and then there's a drafting element to it. That's pretty much it. Again, it, it, a lot of these games look a lot more complicated than they are. They're pretty much pretty straightforward unless you've kind of taken them you know, off the rails or something, thinking that they're something that they're not. But otherwise, I, you know. The games that are simple and easy to get to the table, but do have that, I think you said, Anthony, like that game presence, I think is essential. Or like you said, that mechanic that like, oh, I really want to figure this out. I think that's very important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just like showing them that games can be something different than what they think they are without it being yeah. overwhelming, I think is the key, right? It's It's the perception of it, the rhetorical perception of it. So they're not like instantly overwhelmed. Like even gateway games sometimes can be overwhelming if you oh, yeah. choose the wrong one. Well, they often feel like, you know, Ticket to Ride is often like the predominant, you know, gateway game. But you sit down with that map and you try to, mm-hmm. you know, suss out how you're going to get from one side of the board to the other and get the right colors. And someone blocks you and there's your whole day. You know, it's just, 
I mean, a lot of those games can be challenging. And again, unintentionally, like it's not supposed to be that complicated or challenging. It's supposed to be kind of game friendly. But yeah. if you hold in a card in your hand and you can't complete it, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad time. It's a bad time all around. So, but uh, thank you all, a whole of you, for uh, responding on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere that you find Board Gamers Anonymous. Again, if you find that we're not someone or some place out there, um, let us know so we can hit them up and kind of expand the cardboard universe out there. So, getting more gaming out there, get more people into board gaming, just share this podcast. We seem very complicated and you know, overly intellectual, but we're just a bunch of fun, bunch of fun people looking to get games to the table. So, uh, recommend the games, but also recommend the podcast. All right, Anthony. So that's, what's going on with our listeners. Let's get out to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So for me, um, I have a game that is on Kickstarter right now. It is called just earth, which Okay. It's both elegant in its simplicity and a terrible name for marketing purposes. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. It's a beautiful cover. I love the artwork. I love the name. It's just no good. It's hard to search where, for. Oh, where did they get this Earth name from? Because it seems very unique and easily searchable online. And definitely not everything else that exists practically. <laughs> I'm surprised there's no game other game called Earth. But then you think about it and you're like, maybe because it's not a great name. So we should we should do a top ten list of just bad board game names because this one is pretty bad, but it's not the worst. You know what the worst is, right? Oh come on! No, it's a oh oh my god! It's a tip of my tongue. Yeah, the worst board game name is the game. Yes, 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 yes. Impossible like, to search for. Impossible, impossible to search for. Oh, let me search for the game. Okay. <laughs> the real yeah. game behind the game is trying to find the game on a game site or online because why I don't know why you did that, but they did it. So therefore here we are. Yeah. If you type the game into board game geek, the first response is the game of life and then Arkham horror, the card game and then mage Knight board game and then star Wars X-wing miniatures game. These don't even have the game in them. There is a game just with the game and it doesn't show up in the search. I'm sorry to derail your game about, Earth. <laughs> Earth. Game of Earth. You know, you know Earth um, on Earth. We jest a little, but the game actually Do looks we? very good. So let me let me tell it you why the game good. looks good. <laughs> uh, so this is from Inside Up Games and designed by Maxime Tardif, who designed Brilliance and Mini Diver City. So lots of in the past little puns in the, the game names. Got rid of the puns, just Earth now. Uh, but <laughs> Brilliance back the puns. is very, is very good actually. So I, I do like that game quite a bit. We never ended up reviewing it, but I did get a chance to play that with my family at some point, and it was we had a lot of fun with it. So Earth is an engine building game that seems to borrow a lot of mechanics from the Puerto Rico San Juan Race for the Galaxy family of of card games, right? So you start the game with uh, you're gonna create your own island. You're going to select from island climate ecosystem cards, and it basically gives you a unique starting combination of hand sizes, resources, and abilities. And because you're using these different cards to do that, there's thousands of different possibilities for starting asymmetry. Um, I know people's first question of that would be like, is it balanced? And I'm like, I don't know, probably not. But what games are really balanced, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who cares? It's not competitive play. Um so then you're going to choose one of a few different actions. You're going to plant stuff. You're going to compost, water, or grow. So you're just kind of cultivating the earth. Um, there's a major action that you will get as the person picking it. Then there's minor actions that other people get to take as well. So the minor benefit goes around the table, similar to uh, all those games I just mentioned, where other people get to do stuff as well, but you get to the bonus benefit of picking it. Um, you'll gain various types of resources. Soil, compost, plant cubes, growth pieces, cards, all sorts of cool stuff. And it goes into your personal tableau. So you have a tableau that's four by four of cards and you're trying to fill it, right? So the first person to fill their four by four tableau will trigger the end of the game. So again, similar to those race-like games where when you hit that magical number of 12 or 16, the game ends and you see who has the most points. Um, same kind of thing, right? But these 
tableau cards, again, similarly, are going to activate throughout the game. So when different actions are taken or different things happen, you'll activate these different cards and they'll do different things. You'll have these compost pieces, you'll have the plant cubes, you'll have the growth pieces. They'll go onto the cards and they'll interact with them in different ways that kind of help generate points um, in the process. So there, there's pictures on here on the Kickstarter of just like little stacks of discs and cubes and bits on top of cards. It looks like a nightmare if you have a cat, but um, it's pretty. It creates these little trees and plants and stuff on your table. And there's a lot of stuff in the box. So I think it's 300 something unique cards, um, big, big deck of cards, lots of different possibilities in terms of you know how you're actually going to play it out. Dozens and dozens of growth pieces and plant cubes and all this different stuff. So it's like, I, I keep comparing it to those other, like Race for the Galaxy, Puerto Rico uh, ecosystems of games. And it's not really like that, but it just keeps reminding me of that because of the card mechanics. But there's like all these bits that go into it as well. So a little bit of, I don't know, Terraforming Mars style of Tableau as well, where you're like putting all these bits onto cards to activate things. Um, so I don't know. You're building a tableau. There's the race element. There's the major minor action element. I like all these mechanics. I like the theme. I think the artwork looks okay. Um, I would have preferred, I think, maybe like more pastel Beth Sobel type of artwork, but 364 cards is a lot. So it's a lot to kind of source in there. Um, it looks good. I'm genuinely interested in trying out this game and it's not crazy expensive. Um, it's like $43 for the, just the regular English version of the game on Kickstarter. I don't know what the shipping is. I didn't find it on the page there, but 43 bucks for the game is not too shabby considering how much stuff is jammed into the box. So I'm seriously considering it, uh, because I like this type of game. It's pretty, it's a good theme. And while the name may not be great, uh, the gameplay looks solid. So that's earth. It's on Kickstarter now for looks like two more weeks when you might hear this. Yeah, this, you know, immediately when I saw this, I thought Terraforming Mars, right? It's just everything about Terraforming Mars, but you're basically terraforming Earth, right? So all the plants and the animals that come along with it and all of that stock photography that we've seen previously all kind of right. wrapped into one. So it's just like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of fine. The funny thing about this, and Anthony, like you mentioned, like this is just something very interesting because, again, if you're a Euro gamer, you love yourself a, a card combo, right? Like just racking those cards up, snowballing them, and then just being like, you know, running a real engine is a lot of fun. And then in this case, you get something that is interesting and complex in a different way, right? We're not, you know, how would you say it? Like, it's not coal to oil to metal kind of, you know, production. This is actually animal kind of and fauna, mm -hmm. you know, it's all good stuff. So yeah, I, I think that certainly this this has a, a really good vibe to it. Again, the stock photography is not a problem. It's fine. There's nothing, as you mentioned, Anthony, really super ornate about the boards or anything that comes into play here. But this is definitely something that if you do like that part of Terraforming Mars where it's all about putting those cards together in a kind of a unique way, this is probably something that people should check out because, again, it's a pretty low price for what it is. And they do have a pretty good reputation here so 43 bucks for the game not too bad i mean obviously if you want all the little extra doodads as far as like uh holders and things like that but yeah relatively good price check it out on kickstarter so cool nice um i want to talk about a game that again or probably should probably probably preface it a little bit better it's not really a game as much as it is a company that does things like this. I feel like every time we talk about queen games, I'm always like, oh, cool. Another queen game is on Kickstarter. Let me ignore this immediately. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but queen games and Kickstarter games have been so synonymous with me falling asleep in the chair, you know, after work that it's kind of hard to get really excited about these games. I mean, recently they came out with the Stefan Feld ones. It's just like, it's kind of just kind of a queen game, which means it's like, it's good, but it's not going to like blow you away in anything in particular. And it seems to have that same artistic style and coloring to it. So all the queen games look fairly similar. Like, I, I mean, it, it would almost be a game where like, hey, here's a piece from a queen game and they all look kind of the same. So 
Uh, Old London Bridge is currently on Kickstarter. It'll be wrapping up probably about the time that you, you know, listen to this. So if you haven't backed it already, you might just miss out on it. And again, this is a game that you will eventually see all over the place because Queen Games, if they are good for anything, is they give you multiple chances to purchase their games. And typically their Kickstarter games uh, are almost always cheaper online. I think that's kind of been the running gag over the years that their games on Kickstarter would go down to like 10, 15 bucks in some cases. So Old London Bridge is another one of their, uh, you know, Euro games out there. But again, it offers a nice new unique gimmick. So it is all about how the London Bridge itself, the Great Bridge, was destroyed in a fire because it was a wood bridge, of course, which is challenging to say the least. And then they have decided to rebuild the bridge, but this time using stone. So basically what you're going to be able to do in the fun part of this game is you're going to be able to make a 3D bridge um, utilizing these cards that represent the different buildings on the bridge. And the primary mechanism for this, for scoring points and activating a lot of different things in the game, is going to be these individual building cards. Basically, what you want to do is have your cards, or your buildings in this case, they actually slot into like a little mini bridge for each player. So there's four players, there's four little bridges around the main board, and you slot your little card that goes on top. So again, right there alone, gimmick-wise, it's fantastic. And then what you're trying to do is have the high numbers, you know, up front and then descend throughout your, your time. You'll be picking up these different, you know, cards of different buildings in the middle of the board throughout the game. So there is obviously a standard generic action to do that. And then there's some, some special actions. Again, descending order, because if you do get a card that is out of order, you'll have to destroy one of your other buildings to be able to place that. There are some park cards, which allows you to create this wonderful green landscape. Again, it's just one simple card, but then that allows you to kind of restart your buildings. Obviously, you don't get the big bonus because basically when you do score your buildings on the bridge, they score in a line. So the more that you have of a certain type, the more that that particular element is going to trigger. So you'll be able to score points and money and a number of other things throughout the game. Basically, all your special abilities are held there. There's a couple of other mechanisms where you'll be going around the board to gain special tokens throughout the game. Those are kind of like one-shots. And you'll be also be able to get character cards that will allow you to kind of move up, move down, and turn order. That will make a big difference. And then scoring pot tiles. Because if it's a queen game, it's always about its queenies. So there's actually going to be like final bonus kind of tokens that come into play. So once again, Old London Bridge is yet another one of Queen Games kind of like nice but not overly exciting productions. A very smart idea with building the bridge that might get people to the table. If you're interested, it's at $49 on Kickstarter or probably will take plenty of late backers or pick it up later. Uh, the Kickstarter itself offers a lot of opportunities to pick up their other games. Remember what I said, even if you missed this, do not fret. You'll have opportunities to pick up this game on later Kickstarters or locally on the store. And that's old London Bridge, Anthony. It's possibly falling down. <laughs> oh, no. London Bridge is falling down. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I, I, I have the exact same response to all these Queen Games Kickstarters. I completely yeah. ignored this. but uh... They just... They just blend into each other. They're not yeah. bad games. I want to be really clear about them. They're not bad games generally. I mean, they, they've been overproduced over the years, and some of them are just generic, generic, genericness. Like, I see them sometimes pop up on Kicks, not Kickstarter, but like on Amazon where they're like super cheap. And I'm like, do I want another queen game for 15 bucks to add to my collection? I'm like, there was a time where I was a crazy person. I was like, yes, I want to buy all the things. And then as I've, as if I've grown in my collection, I've been like, do I want to spend another 15, 20 bucks for a thing that I'm not going to play or play only once? Nope, I don't think so. So Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is, but he's certainly changed things around. <laughs> I know. The space became more valuable than the games. What is happening? See, and you know what? We've been complaining about this for years. Now, I understand the publishers, they want to have shelf presence. But because you wanted to have shelf presence it means that I have less less shelf space to put games up. Imagine if games were built in boxes that actually met the needs of the components. I would actually buy more games. I mean, that's legit. That's not even a joke. Like, 
I could fit things and move things. That is not the case here. So I don't know. And it's mostly because of Queen Games because they come out with their super deluxe box versions of things that don't fit anywhere. So it's not even a shelf situation anymore. It's just like a monstrosity of like endless numbers of queenies that you bought because <laughs> you were you were sure that you were going to play all the things. You did not play all the things. You did not. So no. it's fun anyway. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about the games we did get to the table and let everyone know if those games are by and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are the dodge and they should avoid them. Or if those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. So, sometimes I review games that are meant for multiple people, but I only play them by myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this one is different. It is specifically for solo play, and it converts an existing game. Uh, So Concordia Solitaria, which I think is a funny name, um, is a solo-only expansion. Well, no, it's not actually a solo-only expansion because it has a 1v1v1 where you can play two players versus the computer, and there's another variant in there as well. But primarily, it's Mm -hmm. a solo expansion. Um, And really what it does is it adds a bot to the game allowing you to play solo, right? So the basic idea of the game is everything that you know from Concordia. I don't need to tell you the rules of Concordia. We've discussed this game on here a million times. You are trading in the Mediterranean. Uh, But the real thing that makes the game so great is you have this growing deck of cards that you kind of add cards to and you play them out and you, you have like all the cards available to you at any point in time until you play them down and they're only available again when you take them back up. Um, the solitaria deck because that's really all it is like the box it's a little too big (laughs) for what it is it's one deck of cards and three dice which it's fine the four dice i'm sorry it's fine there's plenty of stuff in there but it's not like it could have just been a, a tuck box right but stupid shelf presence right um so what it does is it replaces the cards that go into the tableau. So you have Solitaria cards. Uh, and so there's 15 cards that'll go in the tableau, right? And that's kind of the, the market um, that you typically play with. You have your a new deck of your own cards to play with. You do not use the ones from the base game or Venus. Um, you have the new ones. And then you have Solitaria personality cards that you place face up when you start the game. And so the reason these cards are all different is because printed on them alongside your actions, which are all the same, all the actions you would normally take in Concordia, no changes, is depending on the action you take, the AI, Automa, whatever, will take a certain action. And it's printed on the card, which is awesome. Because one of the things about Automa that's so annoying is it usually have a separate deck of cards or a separate reference sheet that you have to take care of or some movement tracker or whatever. And so you take your turn and then you spend three minutes looking up the rules to take the Ottomans turn and it's annoying. It makes the game take too long. You just want to play your own turn. If you're playing solo, you don't want to play the AI's turn. You want to play your own turn. And so this is a really elegant solution for that, where it tells you right on the card what to do. You do it really quickly and you move on. Um, The rules for yourself don't really change. The game is the same. You are trying to go out and, you know, place your um, buildings in the different cities and generate the resources and ultimately get as many points as possible based on the cards you pull. And the Solitaria, for the most part, does things that make sense. Um, some of the actions are dice-based. So they where they're going to build um, will sometimes depend on the roll of a die. Sometimes it depends on what they have the most of, which does make a lot more sense. <laughs> like, if they're going to go build a building, it makes sense to go to a location that correlates to the scoring cards that they have in front of them. But that doesn't always work depending on what the action actually is. So... There is some element of, and really all of that works fine. The only thing that I was mildly perturbed at is, and this happens in any game with a solo component like this, is the cards they take from the tableau can be kind of random, right? So really, you have to make sure you get the cards you need out of the tableau, like that you purchase from the marketplace before they get them, because they're just going to take whatever, right? So sometimes the die will tell them where to go. Sometimes it'll be another action. will tell them which card to grab. Sometimes it'll just be the first one in the stack, but it's not necessarily going to correlate to specific scoring mechanisms. It's just going to be 
whatever card. Um, so a lot of the times it would take a card that I needed because. Uh, so that's like that that one immersion breaking thing where you have to tweak how you're playing the game. Like everything I did was normal. I'm just trying to maximize my own scoring, except I would take cards at times when I didn't really want to because um, I was afraid that the Automa would take it before me. Uh, the Diplomat card is interesting as well. Like when you play it, you can take any of the available actions from the Solitaria Tableau. So all the cards they take are available. And once you've used one of them, you flip it face down, it's no longer available. So if they have an architect, which they start with one, um, you can use that architect action, it flips down. And unless they take another one from the Tableau, you cannot diplomat, diplomat the architect action again, because it's gone. Um, sure. So you really have to balance that out and make sure, you know, like, okay, if I take that right now, is it maximizing the use of that card or should I wait until later and do it then? Um, there are different difficulty levels based on the scoring mechanisms. Um, the base level, you start with 20 points and the uh, AI starts with zero and they score throughout the game. Whereas as in typical Concordia fashion, you score most of your points at the end. Um, but there's a veteran level and an expert level where the scoring starts at different levels. Um, there is a Perfectus Magnus card in, a diff in addition to the Prefect card. So this one will give you that bonus that the Perfectus Magnus would give you, but it's on a card. So you actually get it more often than you would otherwise. Um, and it's compatible with all the maps. So for all the... Some of the maps have different rules, but the tweaks are in the rule book for the solo. So you... Don't just have to play the base map. You can play whatever you want to do. There's rules in there for salsa. There's rules in there for um, specific maps that have different um, rules of their own. And yeah, it's good. It's really good. I not the biggest fan of Automa bots unless they can find a way to do it really elegantly. So like I don't enjoy playing Scythe solo because I have to look up the movement rules every time I have to take an action and it's annoying and it takes forever. But Gaia Project's amazing because it's two cards and it tells you everything to do and you can just do it really fast. For a big, heavy game, it does it really well. Um, this one is somehow even more elegant than that. It's just, it's quick. It's, I looked at the rulebook twice. The first time I played and then the, the next two times, I didn't look at it at all. It looks really, really smooth. So Concordia Solitaria, if you like Concordia, <laughs> it's a buy. Um, there's no other reason you would buy this because it means you'll be playing more Concordia. Uh, and it's different than play playing it on the app because you are playing physically in front of you. You can play all the maps, which are not available in the app. And the comp the opponent you're up against is a little bit different than, you know, like an AI opponent that will make weird decisions in multiple ways. So highly recommend it. If you like Concordia, want to play it more often, can't get out of the house as much. People don't want to play it, whatever it is. Um, well worth it. It's 30 bucks for one deck of cards and four dice, which is not ideal, but uh, you can get it for 20-something online. It's still a little too much, I think. But it's good. It's good, at least. It's very good. Yeah, I guess considering what Concordia is normally, which is just board, handful of pieces, and cards, it kind of makes sense that that's what we're seeing here. But I, get, I agree, Anthony. Obviously, there's something odd and different about this that it, it's, you know, like you said, $30, $20, $30 for this game. So um, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure as far as, like you said, is as as valuable and wonderful the game is, that is a really costly, you know, um, part there too. But if you've played Concordia, you know it's one of the modern day classics of classics. If you're looking for trading resources in the Mediterranean, there's I don't think there's a better game out there. Ironically, still, I do not own this game because <laughs> everyone I know owns this game and they always want to play this game because, in fact, it is a very good game. But inevitably, like, I don't need to own this. But again, if I did want to pick a particular expansion, I guess this would be the one. Because Salsa is good, but it really almost, it's it's not tight enough. It's really kind of obtuse in some ways where it's like what the bonuses come out there are good or bad or where you were in a particular turn order. The uh, Venus is, is kind of fun because it's one of those situations where you can play in teams, but obviously now you need a lot of players at the table. This one lets you get the game to the table and play play, right? And, a, and it offers you 
more complexity than you would have normally from Concordia. I would actually play this that you mentioned, then play the online version, computer AI kind of thing, because it seems like it's a really meaningful challenge. So yeah. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's um, I own Concordia and Venus and Salsa and for the maps. And I've only played my version of the game like three times because everybody else owns it, like you said. But yeah. I kept buying the stuff because I like it. it is. And now I'm really excited because I can play all these maps as many times as I want with this expansion, you know. And like my kids are getting older. And I'll be able to play it with them soon. I think they will like it. But right now we're not quite there. And since I got this in the mail two weeks ago, I've played it three times already, like three different maps. And that's already three more times than I played Concordia in the last two years. So <laughs> that's a buy. <laughs> no, I'm excited about that. Anthony, do you happen to have another game, maybe perhaps a game that is greater than any other game has ever existed? Is that game possibly could be maybe in your collection, unplayed as of yet? Oh, yes. The, the great game, the, the number one game of all time, soon to be, rising fast in the ranks. Um, yeah, no, I got my copy of Arc Nova in, I actually got it in on Monday. We're recording on Friday, uh, but it's been a week. So I have not played it yet, but I have almost gotten through the rules and I did punch it and it takes up way too much space. So the table I was trying to use did not work. I'm going to try again tomorrow night, but <laughs> um, it's, it's got animals and it's got 400 cards or whatever. So it definitely has a, a terraforming Mars vibe that he's talking about. The fact that Anthony has not left his family and his livelihood yet to play this mm -hmm. game, you know, as his new addiction is, is, is pretty commendable of him, but I would obviously like everyone out there just to kind of join me in getting Anthony to get this game to the table. Because again, as we all know, it's the second coming of board gaming and Anthony has it in his hands. And I think we all want to know why it is in fact the greatest game that was ever invented. So I will report back to you all next week uh, on my first solo plays of the greatest mm -hmm. game that's ever been created in the history of games. Nice, and, uh, nice. Why it's the best game. We might have to end the podcast there. Like, there may I not know, be yeah. any reason. <laughs> if that's it, if there's nothing above that, then what are we even doing? So. I don't know. Like, we might get through the next podcast and get to that part of the podcast and be just like, why even bother any longer? Like, clearly, there's no other reason. There's no reason to go forward at this point. So yeah. <laughs> listen to that partial episode next week where Anthony plays a solo version and then we no, no longer need to broadcast any longer. We both will finally be done in our mission to find the greatest board game of all time. So, <laughs> And again, if, if it's not maybe the solo greatest game of all time, but maybe once we play it together, maybe it'll be the greatest game of all time. And we'll pack our bags and just make it the Arc Nova podcast, where each and every week we go over one single card for the next four or five hundred episodes or something. Oh I don't my know. Gosh. I don't, I don't know that our new sponsor was aware that this is what we were doing. So. <laughs> uh, Arc Nova. Well, I can't wait to see. Let's, let's see how great it is. But Anthony, before we get into that, um, let me talk about a board game that we, you and I got to the table. And again, not, not a board game that um, everyone has played because, you know, pandemic, so to speak. And this came out during that height. This is the Lost, the Lost Ruins of Arnek. Obviously, we've reviewed this. Anthony's was in your top 100 with a bullet. I don't know if the bullet is enough of a bullet to take out Ark Nova, but this obviously Oof. was one of your favorite games, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, we did the top 100 a month after I did this review, and it was my number 18. Wow. Right, right off the bat. So That's... Uh, it's still sitting around 18 after a year, but it's because it rose so fast so quickly. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And again, Arc Nova is a game that we've both very enjoyed and loved. I think Arc Nova and I guess this game, Lost Runes, and also Dune, I guess has been those three games that have gotten a lot of table time for most gamers out there because that's what we hear and see all the time. But Lost, Lost Runes of Arnak is all about exploring an island, finding resources, and uh, taking out baddies as you get all the, all the fun stuff that comes along with, like I guess, exploring what must be one of those kind of prehistoric worlds out there with giant creatures and lost, lost ruins about. But 
if you liked all that collection and a lot of, you know, deck building and action selection, hey, guess what? There is an expansion. So Arnek Expedition Leaders recently came out. Uh, This is also for one to four players. And this allows you to add a lot of goodness to your table. So basically in the game, there's 18 additional items, 12 new artifacts, three new assistants, four new idols, five (laughs) golden rings, no, five guardians, uh, and a bunch of new sites that you can kind of put into play here. There's a couple of new ways to play with the game. The fact there's a new board that you can play with that expands the research track. And again, if you've ever played this game previously, you know it's all about the track. So expanding the research track is a lot of fun. So it's not just one straight kind of down the line. That's a lot of fun. And But really what you're here for is the expedition leaders. Because the expedition leaders give asymmetrical gameplay elements to the game. Uh, let's start off with one of the six leaders here. The captain for, focuses on archaeologists. So they get to use one additional one in the game, and obviously that allows for a lot of additional actions that they're able to be take, and also blocks up the board a bit. Uh, the falconer uses a falcon token that's going to bring rewards in throughout the game, and then there's ways to activate the falcon and move that around. The baroness, uh, she's all about income. One of the fun things about uh, Lorus Ruins that I like a lot is you'll be able to buy all those kind of special item cards. So what she's able to do is not just buy the cards and get income in for that, but she has a way to actually move those cards right to your hand. So if you've ever played Arnak, you know that when you buy those really awesome items, they go basically to your, to your discard to come up at hopefully the next round. But this, this character ensures that they actually go into your hand. Uh, the professor has a lot of resource resources because the professor loves artifacts and being able to utilize the compass and tablet that the professor gets into play allows them to use more artifacts. And again, another really big fun part of the game. So awesome. And then we have two more kind of oddities here. The explorer is just one singular explorer out there, but the explorer uses snacks. Yes, snacks to be able to lift themselves off of that spot. And then she moves to one of those other spots on the board. So you lose an arch- you lose an archaeologist, but you Gain snacks. Okay, so snacks move you around to, to other locations, and also her snacks come into play when she actually be, uses some cards. And finally, the Mystic, uh, really interesting, all about exiling those kind of fear cards that come into the game that really clog up your deck and score, score negative points throughout the game. Each of these characters play differently. Each of these characters come with their own special cards that are added to your deck. So if you're going to win this game first you should have a good knowledge base of Arnak before you walk into this game. Otherwise, you're going to have a bad day. Second, (laughs) each of these characters really benefits off utilizing their assistance. So again, if you're going to be buying, um, for example, using the Baroness, and you're going to be buying a lot of items, you probably would love to have somebody who gets you more money in the game. Or if you have the Mystic, you want to be able to get someone in the game that helps you knock out all those fear cards. So strategic gameplay is key here. And that's what I really like about this because, again, Arnak with the single board and the single you know items that pop up becomes a little bit samey. The expedition leaders are a lot of fun. I would recommend playing with them after you've played the base game. Uh, but for me, I will always play with the leaders because I think it just adds more to the game in a different way. It kind of separates the gameplay because as it stands now, everyone is kind of doing the same things and looking for the same resources. This really opens the game up a lot more, especially with the new tracks. So it's a buy. Yeah, 100% with you. Um, the, the thing about Arnak, and I love this game, like I said, top 20 within a month. Uh, but it does get a little samey and you do end up focusing on the same, like one or two areas because they're true. You know, the card, the decks are not terribly big. You get to know the cards pretty quickly and the research track really is more valuable. If all other things being equal, right? So having the expedition leaders makes it so you can go in a different direction and still have a chance to win the game and have fun doing it. Right. Like I had the professor last time we played and I ended up with like 12 artifacts, which I've never done, never even come close because they use so many tablets and it's hard to get those tablets. But because you get the tablets kind of feeded to you, 
uh, as the professor, and they're easier to find, and you get this bonus of utilizing them. It makes sense, and it forces you to go in that direction, just like a little nudge. It's not like super overpowered, just a little nudge, and it's it's more fun that way, right? It gives you a direction to go, and you go that direction, and you focus there, right? So I was totally focused on artifacts. Um, you know, uh, we were Jeremy, who we were playing with, was totally focused on fear cards. Did not love the fear cards, but that's the direction he had to go. Um, I've played with the Explorer as well, which I think you had, where you get that one pawn, but if you manage it right, you can get three or four actions per turn instead of the one, or instead of the two that you normally get, and so you actually net more stuff in the game, but you can also mess it up, which I think is what's really cool here. They're not so OP that you just get a ton of extra stuff. They're designed in a way where you need to play it properly, or or it doesn't work. Right. And then it messes you up even further, which is why, like what you're saying, Chris, if, if you haven't played the game before, this is not going to go well for you. <laughs> um, you need to know what you're trying to do with it. So anyways, long winded way of saying I agree. It's a buy. It's amazing. Adds a lot to the game. Uh, there's a lot in the box, which this expansion is also $30, which you compare this to Solitaria and there's like way more stuff in this box but you know i know we don't assign value based on components but (laughs) a lot more stuff in the box guys (laughs) but if we did then this one would certainly win the day so Mm -hmm. not terribly surprising there but yeah no i i I like this and and i think anthony you make a good point there there are some expansions and there are some games where you get a bonus but in order to get a bonus you have to take a negative along with that bonus And I think that's very true here because it does put you on rails to a certain destination and there's not too much you could do about it. You're that's, that's what you're doing. You can't kind of work around it. When you play some other games, you can certainly work around. So if you play seven wonders, you don't have to fulfill the wonder stages. You could just play around the wonder and still win the game here. You certainly do need to play into the character Otherwise, you're not going to get the bonuses. Like you said, the Explorer, one you know, one meeple goes out there on the board to activate one thing. If you don't utilize or have the resources for your snacks, it's ridiculous that I'm saying this out loud, but if you have the resources for your snacks when you're in the jungle, then I don't know if you know this, Anthony, because you're not a jungle explorer like I am. But no. you got to – yeah, because look, man, you got to have snacks. That's why you're not a jungle explorer. You don't know about snacks. So, yeah, snacks are the thing. <laughs> Otherwise, you only have one activation that round, and that kind of is lame. But nonetheless, it's a great expansion if you love Arnak. If you don't love Arnak, I don't think this is going to change it for you. But, yeah. again, if you're on the line, it's one of those situations where it does open the game up. And, again, one of the unsung, I guess, hero moments of this is the definitely the expanded research track. Um, so it's not that single line where everyone's trying to get that jewel. We all need to get that jewel. Nope. Now you can take your own path in a more meaningful way. So yeah, yeah. It's it's you know there's some expansions where you're fixing a big problem in a game. This doesn't do that. It amplifies and enhances existing stuff that people like. So it's definitely like, do you like this? Here's some more. Like, not did you not like this? Now we fixed it. It's not one of those expansions. Not so much. All right, so that's all the games that hit our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is Board Game Geek's Hotness for February 2022. It is a hot February, and of course, it has to be because of the cardboard. Anthony, my friend, run us through the hotness and let us know why those games actually rose in temperature. All right. Loving the theme. It's good. It was hot today, too. It was like 60 degrees. Uh <laughs> So let's dive in. Um, So again, top 50 on the Board Game Geek hotness. We're not going to touch on every single game because some of these games are here every single month. And that would be boring. So we're going to talk about the ones that are interesting. Uh, So diving right in, uh, number 49, Great Western Trail, second edition. This was released last year at Gen Con as like a revamp of Great Western Trail. So people are talking about that. But there's also another version of it coming out this year in the summer. Was it the Argentina or something? Um, They're going to release three versions of this over the course of three years. So people are talking about that because more information about it coming out. Um, (laughs) Number 48, Massive Darkness 2, Hellscape. This is a game that was on Kickstarter 
I don't even know when this was on Kickstarter. The last year, the year before, I don't know. There, it's it's coming along. It's shipping out. Um, so we both backed the original Massive Darkness. I didn't like it. I ended up selling it. Did you ever end up playing that? I never ended up playing it, and I still have my copy sealed. So I was actually looking at this expansion and being like, hey, I should buy this because it makes the game so much better. And then I was just like, am I really going to spend $200 more in a game that I have not played because I heard it was so bad that it needed to come out (laughs) with an expansion to fix it? I'm like, I don't know. Somewhere in that calculation, I felt very dumb for a minute. And I was just like, yeah, I can't be backing this. So I didn't back it, but now I'm still holding on to the to the first edition. So yeah, I, I I'm, I'm hoping that this along with my Bitcoin are going to pop any second. So, <laughs> you know, the NFTs of all this is going to make me all the monies because clearly buying Kickstarters is beneficial for your long-term investments, kids. I'm telling you, man, those Simon miniatures are the original NFTs. Like, just, it's true. Just go up in value. <laughs> um, all right. So number 47 is block by block, the insurrection game. And this is actually on here because of the third edition of the game, which just launched on GameFound. Um, I've never played this. Have you played this? I haven't played this, but I, I did do a, a preview of this way back in the day, an acquisition disorder, because this was really interesting to me. It, again, it was a really, unfortunately, timely theme that we're dealing mm-hmm. with, but it offers that kind of kind of competitive slash co-op play. And... They've just done some really great games here. This, again, you said GameFound came this out. The only problem I have with GameFound is, like, if you didn't back it on Kickstarter and GameFound, like, puts out the new edition, it's like, get ready to pay another 20 to 50 bucks more. I'm just like, why? Why are you doing that? But, yes, it's it's good that it's out again. I think it's something that everyone should take a look at. Yeah, it's definitely on my radar. Um, yeah. Thematically, but also, like, it, it just looks good. Like, they upgraded the artwork. They, like... And it's it's actually higher on the list. We'll get to it in a minute. But um, the old version is on here at 47. Mm-hmm. Uh, so moving up the list, because we've got a bunch of stuff that's kind of familiar. we got Potoku at 43. We reviewed that last week on the podcast. So go back and listen to our review, what we think about Potoku, which somehow still has an 8.0 rating on BoardGameGeek. Y'all are crazy. Um, so there's a hint at my review. <laughs> um Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy is up to number 40. It's actually moved up a little bit. I think this game's actually becoming a little bit easier to find, but still not super easy. So more people get their hands on it. It rises in the ratings a little bit. This was a Kickstarter thing, so it was one of those pay a ton of money up front and hopefully the game is good. A bunch of people did that. A bunch of people didn't. Now it becomes more available, hopefully. Um, We have up here at number 33... Dune Imperium Rise of Ix. This is the expansion for Dune Imperium, which I do have. Um, this was an expansion that came with a uh, new house, new technologies, new bits, new leaders, all sorts of new stuff, all the new stuff. So this is, again, another one of those expansions that adds to the things you like about a game, did not fix the things we didn't like about the game, but, you know, the number 16 game on Board Game Geek, maybe they didn't feel like they needed to fix anything. Uh, 31, Dwellings of Eldervale. Uh, this game is, I, I know they're reprinting it. I don't know if they're releasing an expansion just yet, but I know he's working on one. Uh, but famously unavailable after the Kickstarter stock ran out. Like, big, big game, did a ton of numbers. People were super impressed with it. I didn't back it, very much regretted it because I did not realize that the designer was the designer of Energy Empire, one of my favorite games of all time, or I would have backed it. Uh, so new versions of this coming out very soon, uh, I think. So people are getting hyped about that, including myself. I'm on the mailing list. Going to get a copy this time. Um, we have, moving up the list a little bit further, Radlands at number 29. Uh, it's actually down a little bit, but the this game has actually been recommended to me by a couple people. It's got... 8.4 on Board Game Geek. Um, it's a two-player only card game, but just like really cool post-apocalyptic but neon like cyberpunkish artwork. Um, very bright, very very colorful, and it's one of those dueling card games, but it apparently works really well. So it's it's a game I'd like to try out if I can get my hands on a copy. Um, next up on the list we have um, 
the Terracotta Army at number 20. This is a game from Board and Dice, um, very recently announced. And so they like to announce their games very early on. And uh, it's, it's about building the Terracotta Army, which famously was housed in the to protect the emperor in the afterlife. So very similar to um, some other uh, kind of end of end of life protections <laughs> in other cultures. Um, it, it's from Adam, Adam Kupinski. Can't say his name properly, apparently um, who worked on nemesis and a lot of other, those big games. Um, and oof, I'm not going to say the first name, but for the other designer, uh, don't know a lot about the game yet. Looks interesting, but um, presumably will be on Kickstarter or something like it very soon. Um, block by Block Uprising is number 19 on the list. So this is the, they, they're calling it the ultimate edition of the Insurrection game. Uh, it looks cool. It's cute little block people running around, rising up. So uh, a good theme, but a, a cute implementation of the theme. Founders of Teotihuacan. We talked about this before. That's at number 16. This is from Board and Dice as well. Um, and from longtime employee of Founders of Teotihuacan, Philip, or not, of Board and Dice, who designed Founders of Teotihuacan, Philip Glauich. Uh, it's a city building game. Little tiles that you're building out of city. It sounds very similar to Founders of Gloomhaven, just on paper. But I can't imagine that's what they're doing, but we'll see <laughs> when it releases. Uh, number 14 is Boone Lake. This is the new one from Alexander Pfister. It shipped out a couple of weeks before Arc Nova, so it officially doesn't exist. Blah, get out of my head. Um, I do have a copy, though, so I'll play that after Arc Nova. Uh, Mind Management, Mind MGMT, the psychic espionage game. Uh, I believe this has an expansion up on Kickstarter right now, so it's up at number 12. By all accounts, this is a very good hidden movement uh, type of game, so that you have people trying to track each other down. There's like spies tracking down a recruiter. Um, it's based on a comic book series and the artwork in the game is from the original artist of the comic book series, which is very cool. I wish all these adaptations did that. That's a very cool way to do it. Uh, number 10 is rolling heights. This is a new game from AEG uh, and John D. Clare, who's, uh, the guy behind Mystic Veil and Edge of Darkness and all those big AEG games. Um, it's on Kickstarter right now. It involves rolling meeples. And they're normal meeples, so I guess you're just rolling them to see if they land on their head or not. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but you're building a city. Rolling meeples. Um, we did get to see a demo of this at uh, PAX, and it looked cute. It looked interesting, but we didn't get a chance to play it in full. Um, number eight. We haven't talked about this one yet. Libertalia Winds of Galecrest. This is uh, Stonemeyer Games is re-releasing Libertalia, which has been around for a while. It was out of print for a long time. Um, this version of it apparently revamps a lot of elements to it, including the artwork. It's much more colorful now than the old version. Um, did you ever play Libertalia? I think I played it once a long time ago. Um, but I don't have any real memories of it. In fact, I know it's been kind of a classic game around there for a while, but I think I, I won't even say that I even played it. I think I played a portion of it at one point, but not enough for a review because now I don't remember reviewing it. So yeah, I was yeah. surprised that this, this is kind of be reprinted and put that back out there in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a big surprise because I don't know that Stonemaier has done that before. Like all their Ooh. games are new. Uh, I don't think they've gone back into the well to bring old games back, but it seems to have a lot of changes. So I've never played Libertalia. I'm willing to try this, but it's not like I don't have the nostalgia bug that a lot of people do. Nope. Um, at number six, we have Ostia, which is from designer Totsuka Chu, and he worked on Aqua Garden and the Arctic um, Japanese board game designer. And this game is up on Kickstarter right now. And it's being pitched as a Trajan-like Mancala system game. So it is based in ancient Rome as well. It's about the ports um, in the city. And it's got a really interesting look to it. So it's very blue. <laughs> it's got almost like the French 
um, I can't remember the word for it exactly, but like Oriflamme kind of has this look of uh, kind of the French calligraphy blue with a bright, bold colors, the white on blue. Um, and Moncala system, it's got elements of Trajan. I looked at it this morning because I was like, do I want to back this? The thing is, it's very expensive. If you want the deluxe version, it's $98. Then you got shipping on top of that. So, ugh. but um, it looks good. It, it seems like one of those games that I'll not back. I'm almost certainly not backing this and will regret it later because people will come out and be like, this is amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but it was $120. I don't know. <laughs> Um, number five is Tindaya. Um, this is a new civilization type game, um, where you are trying to please the gods on the Canary Islands in the 15th centuries. So you are representing an Aboriginal tribe trying to survive uh, in the world and dealing with different natural disasters and the will of the gods. Um, I, I can't quite tell if the theme is doing what it needs to do to be appropriate, but it is different, right? It's the age of exploration. The conquistadors are out there. They're sniffing around. They're going to find it soon. Um, and you are playing as the native people of this, of this region, which is good. It's not just people exploring. Um, so it looks interesting. A lot of people talking about it. This is from a first time designer um, out of Spain. And, yeah, I don't know. It's I need to see more information about it. It's going to be on not I don't know if it's going to be on Kickstarter or not. It's on a German crowdfunding site. It'll be on here pretty soon. But um, I, I do look forward to seeing more information about the game. Uh, number four, Tiny Epic Dungeons. This is a tiny epic game that I don't know. There's a billion of these. Uh, presumably it just shipped. That's probably why it, these things always pop up when they just ship because 20,000 people back all of them. Um, <laughs> I dropped out a while ago. I just don't play the things, but um, they're cute. I like I like the idea behind them. I wish they were a little bit better. Uh, number three, Ark Nova. Number three. What are you doing, people? This is the best game that's ever been made on the history of board games. And number three. Shame. Right, Shame. We'll talk about it next week. Shame. <laughs> Uh, all right. Number two, Kingdoms Forlorn, Dragons, Devils, and Kings. Uh, this is from Into the Unknown Publishing. It's on Kickstarter right now. And it is a solo cooperative dungeon delving game for one to four players in which you look for loot and go through stories. And it's making all the money. It's, it's like 700,000 euros right now. Um, Polish Why? adventure games, man. I don't Why, know. Why, man? <laughs> Again, like this is like a queen game kind of thing. Like we just talked about so many games with plastic miniatures delving and diving through a dungeon. Like I can't imagine that all of you have nostalgia from going down to dungeons. So what's up, bro? <laughs> like seriously, what's happening? I don't know. The miniatures look cool. They, but they certainly do. How many cool. miniatures do we need to own? I I own a lot of miniatures, but but how many, right? How many? That's going to be question of the week. What is the exact number of <laughs> miniatures that you need to own? If you go over, you're wrong. But again, they're miniatures, so there is no going over. Yeah. So you're always right. Yeah. We mock, but I haven't played this. I, I never will, but it just, there's so many of these. And, and I, that's what I'm mocking. It's not this game in particular. This game might be no. amazing. I don't know. But it's the fact that there's like 50 of them and they all take like a hundred hours to play and they all cost like $300 and like, you can't buy all of them. So how do you know which ones are good? This is how a game like nemesis creeps up on us. And it's like, we're the number 20 game of all time. I'm like, how, where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. And number one earth, which I already talked about. Uh, yeah. That one's on Kickstarter right now. So I don't have to rehash that one, but um, people are pretty hyped about that one right now, too. So there you go. The Board Game Geek Hotness as of February 21st, 2022. Check it out. And lots of new games popping up. It's that time of year. Yeah. So a lot of great games to get to the table. So enhance your cardboard world and stay warm with the BGG Hotness for February 2022. All right, everyone. 
That's everything for this week. But until next time, unless you're on Patreon, because there's always something new on Patreon, this is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And we'll save you all see at the table. Take care.